Well, tonight, uh, the sermon title is Taking Instructions from Above. And I'm drawing upon Matthew chapter 2, particularly verse 12, but uh, verse 13 also in a few other places to earth the thoughts which I hope to bring tonight. Well, this period in the history of God's dealings with his people and the fulfillment of his promises was marked by a lot of divine intervention and divine instruction. There is prophecy. There are dreams. There are visits from angels. And we thought about that a bit this morning regarding the shepherds. Within it, not only promises and instructions of a more positive kind, but warnings as well. And the life of our Saviour very quickly threatened the nation's raging, plotting a vain thing. And here Herod, with all insincerity, uh, saying to the wise men that, uh, that they should go and search carefully for the young child. And then when they found him, to bring him back word that he may also come and worship him. Well, he had no such intention of going to worship him. His intention was to kill him. And because had we read on, we would have seen how he carried that out with uh, dreadful, dreadful consequences for so, so many families around Bethlehem. Interventions and instructions, promises, warnings come thick and fast. And well, we can see, just dwelling a little moment longer on the protection, the instructions that are given that are for the protection of the Son of God. Well, the wise men in verse 12, divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, but they, in the end, departed for their own country another way. In verse 13, when an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Flee. That was the instruction again. And we could have continued on and found further instructions. Verse 19 and 20 of chapter 2 of Matthew. Now again, after Herod was dead, the angel appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. So he promised that uh, I'll bring you word when it's safe. Arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. And further instruction in verse 22, when he was warned by God, having returned from Egypt, warned by God in a dream, Joseph turned aside to the region of Galilee. Divine instruction, divine intervention. Yet this all comes from above. But there's one instruction that actually came very much from beneath. I've already said what it is. It's there in verse 8, and it's Herod's instruction to the wise men that they should go and search carefully. That when they found the child, to bring Herod word, and he would come and worship him. But that instruction did not come from above, in contrast to all the others. It came from beneath. Yet, as we'll see as we proceed, 
it was completely uh, overturned by the Lord's intervention, the instructions from above of those that prevail. First heading, why isn't it always like this? Why isn't it always like this? Angels coming to us in dreams and particular divine sort of interventions of a very kind of obvious and very, very profound kind, steering our lives, for instance, us getting word, well, perhaps we don't have to rise and go to Egypt, but rise and go to some other place or look for work somewhere else or do some particular thing and you'll find yourself in this sort of perfect will of God. Well, we must not trivialize what we are reading here as though this is every day, as though this is just normal kind of goings on. It's not, it's anything but. Because what we have here is a new chapter opening up, a fresh development, a big happening in the whole of God's program. And to accompany it and to highlight it and authenticate it, you have a host of supernatural happenings around it. Because what is being done here is to be embedded into, if you like, the new normal. What's now, God's dealings with us, is the, the new normal is accompanied by these signs and wonders, these extraordinary deliverances, these instructions very directly given from above, angels appearing in dreams to Joseph, to wise men, who, whoever it might be. So we are seeing that God, when he has something very fresh, something developmental in terms of his plan for redemption, breaks into the ordinary with something very extraordinary to highlight that something's happening here. Pay attention, take heed, behold, this is something that is going to have significance and change things, that it takes revelation to that point, and now it's developing it. Well, here's Micah chapter 5, at least this far, the chief priests and scribes whom Herod had called together to, to find out where is the king of the Jews to be born, knew where to turn to there in, in Micah. And so we see that prophecy now fulfilled. There is now the fulfillment. And very often in these early chapters of Matthew, he's forever telling us this is the fulfillment. And we can see that here God is now bringing to pass something very significant. And to accompany it, there is this outbreak of angelic visitation, shepherds seeing visitations of, of angels and Simeon there, the Holy Spirit coming upon him and revealed to him that he would not die until he'd seen the Lord's Christ. And so it continues because we are meant to pay full attention to this and accept that this is now the new normal. We are now to have embedded within, and for the Jewish people of that day, to have embedded in now the fact that God has sent his son and that things are really now on the move. So this is now embedded. And it's curious, isn't it, uh, in this secular age here with angels and dreams and all kinds of uh, very supernatural happenings. How our secular age and census showed that uh, more, and more people now call themselves uh, non-religious, uh, don't want to identify as being Christian, 
Perhaps we can credit them with at least being honest in the, the kind of reply that they have given. Um, not that atheism has made much progress. In fact, it's actually, if you count humanists as atheists, they usually are. Uh, it's been declined by about a third since the last census 10 years earlier. But here, this ambivalence in our nation, speaking about it a little bit earlier, this unwillingness to discard it, but nevertheless an unwillingness to believe it, still wanting a place for it somewhere, but not wanting too important a place for it, to keep it at arm's length, not to have it completely destroyed, not to see it ruined and, and lost and rubbished, as it were, as just not really fit for purpose in this secular age. And so uh, people, even though they've got a real conviction about it, a real belief in it, and if pressed would probably want to deny it, but yet can't feel that it's yet right to discard it. And we were thinking this morning, weren't we, about preserving and singing and continuing to tell it to the next generation, these events, this, this narrative. But here we have this supernaturalism, and notice, very localised. It's not everywhere. It's not happening much in Jerusalem. The star is not appearing to the, the people in Jerusalem. The scribes and elders and Herod are not looking up and, and seeing it and beginning to figure that there's something big going on here. No, it's, it's much more localised and much more for these wise men to behold it, just as the dreams are for them and for Joseph and the shepherds in the fields, all shepherds in every field, all around Judah, but simply that little group of them in those particular fields and only on that one occasion. So we have this record of supernatural happenings. And then, of course, back to Nazareth, they return, and seemingly then all goes very, very quiet. There's the Son of God, no longer a child, no longer all the things that we sing about at this time of the year applying to him, but simply growing up. I mentioned this morning the details about that growing up are very, very few, just a few intimations in Luke's gospel, for instance, but very sparing. Until, of course, the time comes for his manifestation to Israel, his baptism, and uh, heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descending bodily upon him like a dove, and the voice coming from the excellent glory saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Well, then, an outbreak then of supernaturalism, the likes of which the world has never seen before and will never see again, and all built around the Lord Jesus Christ. And in a way, that supernaturalism, all the miracles performed, all the extraordinary happenings, devils that were cast out, the lepers that were healed, the blind that see, the lame that walk, and all of it, as it were then, reminding us it was like this at the beginning. <laughs> there it was, all, all these happenings, and there everything went quiet. And the years of preparation, the years of learning obedience there, just in a simple trade we might well believe. And then comes the public ministry. Oh, and then there are all of these supernatural events again. And here they are written for our instruction. And so we're going to read the, the preface of uh, Luke's gospel in chapter one, the first four verses. What he has to say. It is much, he says, as many 
have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, write you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So it's all embedded, all the supernaturalism, it's all meant to draw our attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's meant to show us that we might know from these records the certainty of the things in which we have been instructed. And so we're not expecting sudden outbreaks of such supernaturalism again. Nothing to go along with what the apostles did then, but they themselves were singular and important in the purpose of God. The next thing is very supernatural in as much as it is the second coming. And that will be a huge sign and wonder, which will have the whole earth noticing it, seeing it, and the earth shaking at it. But it isn't always like this, because God, until his son returns, is not a new development of any note and significance compared to the ones that have gone before, and most especially compared to the Lord Jesus Christ, him entering into the world, performing the ministry that he did, dying on the cross that he was destined to die on. Second heading, beware of instructions from beneath. Beware of instructions from beneath. And Herod indeed is a king and there to be treated with respect. The, the wise men, I can well imagine there, we don't really know who they are, do we, to be sure, but might well have been dignitaries and officials uh, in an eastern kingdom, might have had a place themselves within a, a court of some sovereign. And they are able to come and they come to the king. Where is he? And uh, Herod uh, hears of this and uh, he has his audience with the wise men in verse 7. And uh, maybe the wise men are quite used to having audiences with kings and having questions asked of them. And they, they answer openly and honestly. And this is what uh, Herod is able to learn when the star appeared, what time, and how therefore he could do some calculations based on that. And then the instruction which we notice that they should go and search carefully for the young child. And then when they found him to bring that word to him. Well, there was an instruction. There is something issued by a king. While the wise men were not sort of born and located within that jurisdiction, they lived somewhere else in the east. And yet, evidently regarded themselves bound by it. Because we read, actually, in verse 12, they have to be divinely warned in a dream not to return to him. From which we might conclude that they were minded to return, actually that uh, they were thinking that that's what they ought to do, that they have actually made a kind of promise of sorts to the king. They may, may have agreed with him and nodded when asked, told, instructed to come and tell me, the king giving the instruction. But it was overruled, divinely warned, that they should not return to Herod. And so they departed for their own country another way. They, they bypassed Jerusalem, missed it out entirely, 
and made, I'm sure, careful efforts to ensure that they weren't seen, that they weren't visible. And having brought their gifts, I guess they'd have been a bit less visible on the return journey. And Herod, we see in verse 16, have we read on, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. That there was obviously something of an agreement, or at least he felt that there was. And the wise men may well have actually affirmed that and agreed that they would come back, but that they hadn't come back. And that they had very deliberately uh, decided to disobey and disregard his instructions. Little did Herod know, and it was actually divine instruction that overruled his own his own instruction. And while we might say he had been deceived by the wise men, we would actually be looking beyond that to the divine instruction which actually outwitted Herod. God is always beyond and ahead of evildoers, evildoers' scheme. And they have often such plausibility. These are wise men, that's what they're called, and let's, let's give them their proper due that those men aren't fools. And yet there was something about Herod that must have exuded a plausibility. I don't know what they made of the commotion in Jerusalem when they got there, that uh, there, there was this, this trouble that uh, came upon the, the whole city, this talk and anxiety and, and, and the sense of something happening, or discomfiture, Herod being the chief experiencer of that, but also Jerusalem with him. They missed that, did they? Not pick up that there was something going on with Herod here. There was, there was something about him. But by the time we get to verse 7, and here he is in this uh, uh, secret meeting with the wise men. Oh, we can well believe, can't we, there, that Herod was absolutely able to fake uh, interest and, and, and concern and uh, put on a, a due amount of humility that oh, here's the real king. Well, after all, I'm even from around here. I must learn from this. The wise men, in some senses, were satisfied by this show that Herod put on, this this concern and the, and this great interest. Oh, now you'll be sure to come back and tell me, won't you? I must go myself to worship, you see. And it was all absolutely fake. Yet the wise men didn't see through it. <laughs> they They were sufficiently convinced that God had to overrule their own judgment uh, and their own sense of obligation to Herod that uh, they felt that uh, they ought to go back and they ought to say we're in Bethlehem and give the name and the address. Herod would have smiled politely and sent them on their way and in the next breath have had his soldiers, as we learn eventually he does do, uh, on their way to Bethlehem forthwith and maybe would have spared massacring so many children and could have instead just sent it in upon the one that was his main interest. So the wise men missed what was happening. They didn't see, didn't read the character of Herod. A little too believing. Beware then of instructions from beneath. And while we should properly have a place in our thinking as Christians about the need for the powers that be, and how God has has placed governments as a, a an aspect of common grace for the need of society and for the good to 
protect lives and protect property and whatever else and to ensure that there is a normal functioning of society, we must be ready uh, to take the hint from heaven and if our instructions from higher authorities than from earthly powers. For even if, uh, well, Herod's instruction there wasn't going against the word of God, was it? He was going to worship. Why, this, this was a very, very good thing that he had in mind, except it was completely and utterly insincere because Herod is a, a master there full of intrigue. And when you read Daniel 11 and all the ins and outs of the kings there and masters of intrigue, and sadly many rulers are, perhaps we have been disappointed what we have discovered about rulers in the West, maybe in our own country, to that extent, and instructions and rules and regulations that they have given to us. And subsequently, we found out little basis for it. All the talk of following the science uh, turned out to be pretty empty, and false promises and assurances given, and all kinds of things emerge, come to light. Interesting to read, Evangelical Times, uh, the upcoming edition there, had a bit of a brief read through it, and Stuart Olliot, as ever, interesting to read him. And he was offering some thoughts, the, the question, I don't quite know how it works with all this, but anyway, he's asked a question about leadership. The big word that comes up is love. Well, you can understand that, but as he develops this, he's got a lot to say about this. It's not naive stuff at all. He said we should be questioning. We should be questioning authorities. We should be questioning what they're doing or what they're saying. And we should be learning. I'm adding a little bit more beyond that, but I, I quite believe that he would agree with me in this. Better understanding human character and its sinfulness. Well, I think if you read the article, you'll probably find that he is actually saying as much. Reading what's happening here and being aware. While we respect the place of authority, we need indeed to be innocent as doves, but wise as serpents in this day. Here are these wise men, but they were nearly outwitted by Herod. And they would have gone back. What would the consequences of that have been? Oh, really? There's only seven miles to get to Bethlehem. Well, Herod would have had his team of elite uh, soldiers there within, what, half an hour, an hour? I don't know what the terrain would be, what kind of uh, uh, horses or whatever they would use, but they'd be there very, very quickly. And it was God who had to wake up the wise men. And confirmed to them, probably in the end, when they look back, there were discrepancies. There, there was something about him. Nobody's that good a liar in that way. There'll be things that just were there, some, something that just maybe alerted them. And it was God now showing them and divinely warning them that they shouldn't go back to him. Beware them of instructions from beneath, even if they come cloaked at times with a plausibility. As Christians, we cannot afford to be naive and overly trusting. The powers that be, remember, uh, are not uh, themselves there, untainted and unpolluted. Psalm 2 tells us as much, and we see Herod here very much fulfilling the worst part of it. There is God has established his king on his holy hill of Zion, and Herod's minded to try to unestablish that king and uproot him and destroy him. My final heading, take instructions from above. 
this is where it is. And, and this is the Bible, isn't it? This is God's gift wrapped instructions. Here are the warnings. Here are the promises. Here is a book of wisdom. I read Proverbs and read it again and again and again, because there you will see the, the best book ever written on human character, how to read it, what to make of it. And there's some very strong things to be read there. We will find in it all revelation, supernaturalism, dreams, light given from heaven, scripture, moving on, moving on, building on what's gone before, clearer light emerging. Events, situations, warnings, people and what they do, narratives, all of it is our instruction from above. And here we are made wise unto salvation, aren't we? This is profitable, all for all things that we might need in life. Here is our insight. Here is our way of, of reading character, working out the, the herods and seeing beyond their plausibility. Oh, dear friends, people in high office, I'm afraid you don't need me to tell you lie. Uh, and sometimes lie quite appallingly. And here we are given insight into character. And the actions that we need to take, bold action at times. Well, there was Joseph and he has to take the child and go to Egypt. Egypt of all places. That doesn't have a happy kind of ring to it. Egypt, that's a place of slavery, wasn't it? That was, well, they had to be called out there under, under Moses. Well, indeed, there's going to be a beautiful fulfillment of prophecy to come out of Egypt. I called my son, so it says in the book of the prophet Hosea. Action, action to protect, action to preserve what is precious in the sight of God. Nothing more precious here than the life of the Son of God. And so all this instruction is given. Go to Egypt, come back from Egypt, go to Nazareth, Jerusalem, and so, or Bethlehem. And so all of this to protect and preserve what is precious. And God is always one step ahead, isn't he? He's a step ahead of Herod. He's a step ahead of, of all of these various characters, these nations raging, these rulers of the earth taking counsel. Well, God actually holds them in derision uh, and he laughs at them because he's not one step, not two. He, he is an infinite number of steps ahead of them. And he's able to prepare his people in good time. And how for us, we look back, don't we? Decisions you and I might have made that were better than we could have imagined. Better decisions than we knew at the time. And they proved us against some unexpected happening. Or they gave us some vital insight when we needed it in order to prevent some disaster or to protect and preserve something that was important and precious. Things to avoid, directions to take, hints and helps that came from above. So as I finish, keep close to these instructions, our book, the Bible, God's revelation comes from above. It makes us wise, makes us wise about people, the herods of this world. It helps us as we interpret the Bible by its own rules to understand it and not to fall into the mistakes of some who think that uh, angels are going to visit them every day or every dream they have is, is God giving them some special supernatural insight it avoids some of those mistakes which which people fall into some very well-meaning but mistakes nevertheless we believe in god's greatness in this god was greater than herod uh, and beyond him and we believe that we believe that our lives are part of that 
whole kind of movement, that whole flow of history. And, and so often is, isn't it, that our lives, they can be very, very quiet. Yes, years seem to pass and we wonder what is happening. Little seems to be done, little accomplished. And then suddenly there's a whole kind of movement of things. And we look back and we can say, we may not have had quite this. And we didn't have angels visiting us and speaking to us in dreams. But we had some supernatural help here. And there was some remarkable divine intervention. We believe in God's greatness and ability to help us. And that he can give direction. Just as he gave directions to Joseph, go here, rise, go there, flee to that place. And he was able to follow that. We don't quite have that in its exact sense. But we have the same God who directs his people onwards. So be alert to scripture. Be alert to what God may be speaking to your heart, to my heart from this precious book. What parts of that truth are at the moment sort of fitting in, chiming in with maybe where we wonder where we are in God's purposes, helping us to make sense of that and to be able to prepare better maybe for what lies ahead. So taking instructions from above, that's what's happened here. And though not quite in the exact same sense as here, nevertheless, God has still got truth to break from his word that's going to be helpful to you, to me, to us as a church, on into the future that we believe. Amen. Let's sing now as we do indeed finish hymn number 162, As With Gladness, Men of Old, 162.